0: I will be playing to win and actually have the ability where I win the points rather than other people are losing the points.
1: That was Adam Draper, the man behind investments in Coinbase and Bitcoin in 2012. Adam is the founder and managing director of Boost VC. He's a serial entrepreneur and a fourth generation venture capitalist. For Adam, no idea is too crazy. He wants to build an Iron Man suit and lead the deals in the wildest sci fi tech investments on Earth and in space. He also has a great podcast called the Boost VC podcast, and I highly recommend that you check that one out. You won't regret it. Let's hear from our sponsors. Quarter is the new way of doing company research. With Quarter, you get frictionless access to conference calls, investor presentations, transcripts, and earnings reports from markets all around the world straight to your pocket. Quarter's mission is to change the way people look at investor relations and create a completely new bridge between companies and stakeholders. Quarter is 100% free. They include companies from 15 markets today and plan to add more over time. They always prioritize requested companies, which users can easily do in the app. Users can also leave reactions while listening to the conference calls to make their voice heard. So check out Quarter. Q U A R T R. All opinions expressed by Christophe Vornehm or his guests
0: on this podcast are only their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Bin. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Christophe Vonheim as a specific reason to invest or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only.
1: This episode is produced by William Fransen. Let the episode begin. Welcome back, everyone. Super excited to have Adam joining the show. And Adam, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. It's 2022. Do you write your own... Is it? <laughs> what a great, fantastic start. I, th- I think it is. I, I don't know which, uh, which planet you live on. I mean, you're a sci-fi guy. I don't know which calendar you follow, but do you write your own OKRs? And for people who don't know what an OKR is, can you just explain the concept the objective and key results. Do you do that every year, or not bothered with it?
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's a good question. I mean, really, we New Year's resolutions is a rebranded OKR, or OKRs is a rebranded New Year's resolutions, right? Like, um, my general answer to that is, for Boost VC, um, we work as a team to come up with our OKRs, and so we strat for our annual strategy. Um, And, you know, you have to ask, like, okay, what's changed? What hasn't? Like, what was the last year? You have to sort of know where you are as a team to know where you're going, right? Um, And then, and so that's what OKRs would be for us. It'd be like, we have one metric that we focus on at BoostVC. How many companies raise more than a million dollars every six months for our portfolio? So in the last year, we had 52 companies raise more than a billion dollars. And that's not including like Coinbase and there are a couple others it doesn't include, but like the the uh, but that metric has evolved over time. But we well, actually, that metric has not evolved over the last three years. We've been very focused on that. Um, But what was important has evolved a little bit over time. And so um, so the OKR for us, no matter what, is every six months we track and try to hit a specific goal of how many companies raise more than a million dollars. it's good to know what goals are so that you know what's important. So you can drop other stuff. That's what OKRs are good for. It's about what you, it's about, there's a great, uh, there's a, uh, the, God, what's that guy's name? Um, from Apple, the designer. Uh, he
1: Tony, he I've said,
0: yeah, I've, he said focus is uh, working on something, coming up with a really good idea, sleeping on it, obsessing over it for a full week and then putting it away because you're focused on something else. Like that, that's what focuses. And like, that's what OKRs give you the ability to do is like being able to focus. Now my OKRs for like me and life are a little different. Like I, I would say I have, uh, I have a, I call it a bucket list and uh, I go and I, you know, have ambitious goals that I've set for myself over the last, I I guess I've started this like 10 years ago and I've been doing it for about 10 years now. And some of the goals don't, you can't do them in three months. You have to do them in, um, it, it takes years. And you also find over time that the really hard ones get achieved. And the really, the ones you didn't care about as much, but sounded attainable, don't. Uh, and that's always a really important, um, it's important to challenge yourself. Like, and it also, every year you read through them, like I, I read through them this year. And some of them you accomplish and you're like, okay, how do I level that up? Like, uh, yeah, so that, that's, that, so I would say, OKRs to me, they're two in my world. One is sort of personal life, uh, family uh, life stuff, and one is boost VC and, and goals. And fortunately, most of those goals are aligned long term.
1: I, I know that this will sound very cliche, but I'm asking it because maybe the Europeans need some context. But if you take a basketball analogy and you can, I would love you to tell about your family, do you feel like kind of like a Stephen Curry that you want to overachieve because you have the sort of genes and environment or how do you, how does that play out? Right? Because obviously you have the name, you have the family genes, but how can you just paint a picture in that as well in terms of the personal goals?
0: Yeah. Um, that's great. It's a great question. I'm, I'm really lucky. Uh, so my, uh, I, my great-grandfather was started venture capital on the West Coast. Uh, he actually created the first LPGP structure, which is how all venture capital is set up today, uh, or 99% of venture capital is set up today. Um, and it, like that fund, it was called Draper and Anderson. He brought over his son, who's my grandfather, Bill Draper, over from uh, Inland Steel in Indiana, Illinois, in Illinois um, to... Uh, to California, uh, and he he was really uh, the the sort of planted flag. B- B- Bill Draper is sort of a a touchstone of, of venture capital to many many people. He has taught, coached, helped, uh, and invested in many people over the course of the last seventy years. And then uh, some of his wins are like like he backed Activision, uh, Apollo Computers. There are a lot of things that w- sort of have fallen off. He missed Apple, so got that going for him. Uh, that's a great story. And then, uh, then my, when my grandfather actually went to um, Washington and he worked for the government uh, as the head of the Export-Import Bank, he uh, my my dad would, started an venture. And it was around the same time, and my my dad was the first venture capitalist to create an affiliate model. Uh, So at its peak, my my dad at Draper Fisher Jurvetson had twenty seven different venture funds. Um, I'm giving a whole history just to get to where what like what I guess where I what I feel um, about this. Um, And my dad, my dad was uh, my and then my grandfather came back into the game, but he didn't want to compete with my dad or that's what he claims. Um, But he really what I think is he's very good at finding where there he can be a monopoly and be the only one where capital is being deployed. And so he uh, he went to India with his partner, uh, Robin Richards, and uh, who it's another great story. He 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 became partners with her. Uh, after one lunch uh, and he spoke at Stanford Business School and then she like was just tenacious and they became partners and they went over to India and founded like a fund that the first Indian venture capital fund returned 16x the money like it was an awesome fund um I recommend reading his book The Startup Game um and my dad wrote a book called The Startup Hero um So, okay. So, and then my dad was the first global VC. So he created this affiliate network that actually went global and he realized entrepreneurship was everywhere. And like, there there was going to be huge growth all over the planet, especially because of the internet. And uh, so when, when, uh, but when I was growing up, venture capital wasn't really a thing. Like if someone asked me, like my friends asked me like what my dad did, uh, I said he helped really early stage companies. And like, no, no one really cared beyond that. That wasn't, it wasn't popular. Like startups weren't really a thing. Um, And it was against the grain to start a company. I'd say that transition has happened where the social risk to start a company is way lower than it used to be. So, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but like that, like there are so many people who feel it's a better pathway to either learning or uh, building value, or uh, it is the best structure to create innovation still. So we can bet that innovation will still be built by the private uh, companies. Um, So your question though, originally was, uh, how do I- uh, Do you uh, feel the pressure
1: essentially? Do I feel feel the
0: pressure like Steph Curry? You know, uh, I don't, my my bet is Steph Curry doesn't feel any pressure Uh, and and, you know I, I and i bet he i don't know if it's true but i bet he tried a couple other things too i tried to be a professional tennis player uh, i uh, started a company uh, called expert financial i failed a, a company called expert financial over four and a half years it was heartbreaking i think uh my life first off, i'm very i'm very lucky and i'm not lucky because my dad's adventure or my grandfather's adventure i'm lucky because my, I have a family that really believes in me and letting me figure it out, right? Like uh, the, it, it ends up being less about what, what they did and more I admire what they did because at, at its core, what venture capital is, is you're helping someone who comes to you and says, uh, I'm going to change the world. They say, uh, I'm, "I'm like every pitch I get to see, I get to see a pitch and they say, hey, I'm going to change the world and this is how I'm gonna do it. And uh, at some point it's just inspiring to be around that energy. And these people who f- are free thinking, like they think for themselves, they they like the, the the socially correct thing to do is just like stay in your hub, you know, like do your thing, whatever, like don't branch out. Um, and but like, don't start a company. Starting a company is hard and d- dumb for a very long time. And you have to have so much high conviction in yourself to be able to accomplish it. I I think that the I think what I'm 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 thankful for is is the fact that uh, my my family was so supportive throughout all of my journeys of trying to be whoever I ended up becoming. Um, I've and then and then do I? But once I chose, once I went in. To venture capital, and I realized it's all about ideas, which turns out daydreaming in class, I got really good about thinking about ideas. And uh, and that's all venture capital is. It's figuring out what world this person's going to build and saying, okay, well, what if it works? If it works, the world's better. So we should do this deal, right? Um, like that's basically the, the filter. And um, I, I seeded invested after I started, after I, I, I failed at uh, a specific at my, at expert financial building that, um, with, with, a great team. I'm still like lifelong friends with the team that we had built there. And, um, and we all went on to do great things. But after that, I ended up investing in about 20 companies. And, uh, I mean, some of those companies are like Coinbase I seed invested in, uh, I, and technically, I, I see invested in Bitcoin. I think the price of the valuation on Bitcoin was less than $100 million. So, of all of Bitcoin. So, like, that's pretty good, also, um, as a community. And then uh, I seeded Amplitude, Benchling, what became uh, Snapchat Spectacles. It was called Virgins Labs. I seeded uh, Plan Grid. And basically, I mean, the, uh, like, I was very lucky. It was a good vintage. It was a good year 2011 was a good year. Um, so I always like going back after I wander a little bit, like going back to the question, just thinking like, my answer is like, my, my goal is not to be a derivative of my family, but I am in the same business. And I think that that is probably similar to what Steph Curry was thinking. Like, if I if, if you look at it in the last 20 years, the one person who's – and I include LeBron and Kobe and Jordan in this. If you think of who changed the game of basketball the most, it's Steph Curry. And it's because if you track the number of three-pointers shot before he started and after he started, like at, after his first like four seasons where all of a sudden it turned out if you could shoot 45% from the three three-point, you should do it. Because – getting 1.5x the amount of points is better than 1x the amount of points if your shooting is equivalent um and and so i i, I think it's uh it's an important analogy to make which is just sort of like yeah my goal is like i want to i want to be as good at this business as i can but what you learn about this business is being the best is really about it's a customer service role right like i'm I, I need to be on call for any company at any time. And the more investors, the more companies I invest in, the more people who call me. Um, and so you, you don't scale. So you have to figure out how to scale that number of investments in a quality way. Um, and you just want to keep, and then it's, it's become even more like, I don't like the word saturated, but it is saturated. Like there's so many investors now. I'm not only, it's, it's in the competing world like you're competing with other funds, but now every individual is able to invest in any startup. And that I would say most information is pretty transparently out there. So you really want to add value to the company's end. So my answer is this. Venture capital is awesome.
1: I mean... Just rem- just remind you that I have like 50 questions. I hope we get asked a good answer on every question. But I think it's it's spot on because I think if I had to summarize all that reflection, maybe it's like it's as big of an achievement just staying in the game because the game is getting played faster. There's more people involved. So just being an important player in VC actually should mean that you've done pretty well because now you have tigers running around giving checks to everyone, Um, obviously. I, I
0: think... I. I think the, the truly unique, someone always said, corrected me once when I used the word unique and it didn't quite mean unique, but unique because I believe we are the one of one family that is four generations of venture capital. But the unique thing about that is that we have been able to be in the market and play well for all those generations. Um, and I, I think there, that's fascinating. We just, we like people, we like doing deals, and we like uh, imagining a better future. And like my, my, all my siblings are venture capitalists too. Uh, and so that all, yeah. Jesse runs Halogen Venture Partners. Um, Billy runs Path VC. And uh, we've we've all just sort of come go, gone our own road and tried different things along the way. But we all bridged back because this business plays to our strengths.
1: Amazing. Uh, I have so many fun questions that I'm very excited to ask. I want to maybe since you mentioned Bitcoin and Coinbase, uh, I remember when I was studying studying at UC Berkeley, we had John Doerr, or he gave a lecture and he he can always tell the Google story, right? And I and I wondered if can Adam always tell the Coinbase story? Just like if, if we forecast, can Adam at 60 come to university if I have children and say I invested in Coinbase? And also tell the story because it's a great story. But I just think it's an interesting question because maybe it could be that story, right? You you know, what's interesting
0: is first, yes. And the reason is uh, I believe they have a compounding moat that will continue to grow in that space of onboarding the world to a decentralized financial platform. Um, and I believe it's, you know, it's going to be bigger than anyone's ever could imagine. And I think it's, you know, not a, a hundred billion dollar company. I think it's a trillion dollar company. And I think it's uh, they're they doing something that is truly important. But I think it's interesting for two, two reasons. One is I always thought about venture capital, when, when, you know, as I was growing up. And I realized at some point that all VCs were defined by one or two deals. Uh, like my dad was able to point at, uh, Skype, hotmail. Um, like those were the, the like, Hey, I've known for Skype and that's the beacon thing, right? Like you become a beacon because of those things. My dad sent, by the way, since has, I mean, I, I wrote a whole tweet storm on how my dad's the goat of venture capital because he just absolutely destroyed it in the last 10 years. But like, um, what was interesting was everyone kept saying, uh, do you realize you made the most life uh, cha- changing and like cat- career defining investment of your your life? And I kept saying, boy, I hope not. The, the... <laughs> I... <laughs> uh, and, and not because I don't, I, I, I think I still am very bullish on Coinbase. I think it's got a lot of legs to run. And I think people don't quite understand how important it is yet. Um, but it's because I still got a lot of legs to run too. I got, I got, I got some more, uh, more, more investing to do. So, uh, and I, you know, the stress. Yeah. So that, so my answer is, I do believe that Coinbase will be one of the category defining companies that I will always be able to point to. Uh, I also hope that some of the other companies who i believe are incredibly solving incredibly important problems will also be
1: is it too wild to say out loud that you want to be like the first investor on mars or something do you feel too young to say that or do you actually think there's a chance like if you're trying to be honest about the question and be realistic
0: okay so so I, i've thought about this a fair amount and so good question um not about being the first investor on Mars. I think, I think there's a question of, do you want to go to Mars? Like that's, that's a question. And so I had this vivid dream, like this vivid dream. And, uh and, you, you know, I've, I've backed a bunch of space companies. I'm very excited about the exploration of space. I think it's a, a place where if you don't want to be on earth, you have a chance to go somewhere else. And that's exciting. Um, And we, and we, we were on this, we were on the ship and we went and like, it was the whole like years you're in space or whatever to get to Mars. And then we get there and you know what? Not much happens on Mars. It's a little boring. Uh, and I was there and I was like, I'm a little bored. And then I got on another ship and went back to earth. And I was like, that was really interesting. Like I, I, I wouldn't have expected that, but I think I'm meant to be on Earth, and so I don't think I'm going to be the first investor on Mars. Now, am I going to be the first investor who flies a jetpack on Earth? Probably. Am I going to be the first investor who you know might go to the Moon? Maybe. Um, like, there, am I going to be the first investor who like does a deal at the bottom of the ocean? Probably. Like, I would say the uh, I'm I'm I feel there's there's a lot of exploration. Left to do on Earth, and I still, I still am definitely going to be supporting founders going into space, and I hope they get there and they enable others to get there. I just realized recently I'm probably not going to be leaving Earth anytime soon.
1: There is a very great analogy because uh, coming from Norway, we have such rich polar uh, history. So Amundsen was the first in Antarctica, and if you read those documents on how that felt, that trip it wasn't a good trip, right? It was terrible. Mm-hmm. It was like the worst pain you can feel so probably you can relate that to being the first people on mars right but yeah. I, I and, think
0: and like someone's like someone's gonna be great at that i just realized i don't think i'm the person who's gonna be great at it like i i so 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 I'm like hey we'll we'll leave it to you know <laughs> when when there's new arcades on mars or something i'll go there like that, that'll be my both
1: you basically be the uh, uh I'm not saying this is in a bad way, but maybe you can be the Richard Branson in Mars and be like the guy ah. when the thing is cleared. You can have some fun and do some investing and etc. etc. Yeah. But let's have let's have a great topic. If you have if you pair uh, space exploration with ocean exploration, and you pair Ocean X Ray Dalio stuff with Elon Musk SpaceX stuff, and let's say that Fed actually have a limited supply we know we don't you don't have that you can print as much money as you want it seems so you can fund both the ocean and space but if you are capped limit wise on the capital where would you like to bring the money do you feel like ocean is vastly undiscovered yet and after you answer that please uh, add on tony john and manolene guys etc
0: So i this is again something I've thought a lot about in the past, which was my question was less who deserves more than why does space get so much? Um and, and the reason it turned out was both NOAA, which is the in this is US focused conversation. So NOAA is the uh, National Oceanic Association A. I forget what the last A stands for. Um, And then NASA, both were founded around the same time. Like these two government agencies, one was focused on space, one was focused on the ocean. And, but when JFK was president, it turned out NASA captured the imagination of the people. Saying this, and and also Sputnik captured the competition of the people, where suddenly we were we, we to be you know American. You needed to be like yes, we have to go to space, and we, and then Noah actually had a couple failed things that happened in no like a couple of people died on these submerged uh, living underneath the water things, and um and so there was a bunch of failed stuff and a bunch of successful stuff. And obviously the money's going to go more towards the successful things, especially the things that are capturing your imagination. Now that stuff compounded over the last, since whatever, 20, uh, 1960 is, is like absolute, it's crazy how much more funding NASA gets now. And so that's obviously the the imbalance. Like I still, we still don't, we still have not, we don't have credible scans of the entire ocean. We still don't know what's down there. we, in 2020 discovered a new breed of orca whale like the orcas aren't like some tiny bacteria in the ocean right like like orca whale is like a it's a it's a gigantic it's a whale right
1: um you're talking about the the mariana trench right so just for people who want to youtube mariana trench they can also see if you go deep enough down like it's a lot
0: it's also just like it's as it's like as deep as everest is tall or whatever like the it's there's just so much to yet to be discovered in not not only like everywhere like i think that there's just tons of stuff that's been undecided and once you start diving in here by the way what led me to the ocean as a thesis which i think it's it's yet to be discovered by most venture capitalists is well, first, there's this very simple fact that 80% of the planet is ocean and we know nothing about it. Like that is a world I like to play in. I like to play in the uncertain and unknown. And like where there's uncertain and unknown, eventually people create standards and you make you can make a lot of money. You can also create a lot of innovation. Um, and then, I, then the second thing was, one of the things was... Um, Every person I talked to was so in the like who was working in ocean startups was so passionate about the ocean. They defined themselves; their identity was wrapped up in being a part of the ocean. Um, And they've been oceanographers for thirteen years. They've been you know like it's, it's these amazing stories of oh I've cruised, I've 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 crossed the Atlantic Ocean seven times. I've you know like every single founder was like obsessed in some capacity. But the first thing, the primary reason that I got to the ocean was I I I had this uh, I went deep on climate change, and I uh, and if you go deep on climate change, what you, you first you have to make a decision: Do you believe the climate is changing because of humans or not? Um, and or first, is the climate changing? Yes or no? Then is are humans? Is it because of humans? And then why is it because of humans? And uh, and so, my answer to why is it because of humans after I got through the top funnel um, was I was like, well, the ocean, if you read any science book from like seventh grade, the ocean is the regulator of the Earth's temperature. And it's sick. Like, uh, at the simplest version of what I can say, in my thesis is, is like, the ocean's sick. There's a lot of plastic in it, but there's a lot of opportunity to. And so what can we do to make us care about the ocean, which has led me to a thesis around ocean ownership. I believe that we need to create an ownership model for the ocean. Um, And I believe it's my 30 year project, basically, like, it's going to take a long time, it's going to take a lot of, you know, resilience. And eventually, I believe you or I will be able to own plots of ocean land. Um, And because we own it, we'll take care of it, right? Like that's, how it works. And so I believe it's an economics problem not a technology problem. That was a.
1: Can I can I just point. quote you Adam because you said that and and then I want to talk about Manolin also because you said that the ocean is a 100 trillion dollar opportunity and probably the largest opportunity in your lifetime. And if we have that quote in mind, can we also talk a bit about John Tony and when are you coming to Norway to check out some salmon farming?
0: Uh so I would love to. And I, th- I think that should be on my, my trip list for 2022. That's a good idea. Um, I'll come out to Norway. There, you know, we've invested in a few things because of Norway is the head of ocean like life out there. Um, so I think it's the. I, OK, I, I think the first 10 years of my career were defined by crypto. And I think that the end, but it was overlooked for eight years. Like it was completely overlooked and underfunded and no one cared. And like, honestly, it was a little depressing at times, like being completely ignored by the mass market is not the easiest task where everyone goes, are you still doing that Bitcoin thing? Um, And like, and you're like, "Ah, that hurts. Like, okay, that sucks. Um, But yes, I am. And it's great uh and these are the reasons why like defending is so it's so hard defending why you're still in it right because it's a belief it's a core belief it becomes a piece of like what you are and having that like shaken is always it's always a disturbing moment now now that i've gone through that though i believe that the next 10 to 20 years will largely be defined by my my techniques at innovating in the ocean and i believe web3 crypto it, it's going to be play a fairly large role in that um but i also think that oceans in general is the opportunity it's 80% of the planet it's already uh if you just measure what it is today if you measure like ocean salmon farming and uh shipping and logistics and like if you just measure the markets that are dependent on oceans today um it's a trillion-dollar market. Uh, but if, if you believe, like I do, that if people start to invest capital and time in a very specific place that markets grow, uh, it's a $100 trillion market because there's so much yet to be discovered. And that's, that's what I was trying to get across is like, today, yes, it's only it's only a trillion dollar market. How ridiculous is that to say? Only a trillion dollar market, like the it's a freaking trillion dollar market. Um, and the and and I'm I, what I'm saying is the growth of this once we figure out how to unlock capital. And by the way, primary reason that capital is not unlocked is always regulatory in every industry. And right now, it's because everyone believes the only way that you can build in the ocean is uh, as a nonprofit essentially, because the ocean is largely a nonprofit. It, it's the tragedy of the commons. And so we have to solve that. If we solve that, climate change goes away. We live in oceans, it's gonna be awesome. Uh, and that trash heap goes away. So like, I'm yeah, that's my thesis. That's what I'm going for. And that's why I believe it's a hundred trillion dollar opportunity because I believe if, if you just invest like a tiny amount in ocean-based stuff today, in 20 years, it's worth a hundred to a thousand extra, right? Like just you own something, do something in the ocean.
1: Couldn't agree more. And just a couple of key points. I think you need an office in Norway soon because I still remember I was, in, I was in Brazil and I was having, because i worked for the Norwegian government in terms of seafood. And I remember having this conversation with a Brazilian guy from the government. And he basically, when I explained how much knowledge Norway has, he was shocked because Brazil didn't even know what's in their ocean, right? Because we track everything from governance, etc. So obviously, you can't flip the argument and say that because Norway has a great government, we actually have control over the fjords, right? But I totally get your point. We need to unlock that key, right, but, to get. But I'm government. not okay.
0: So let us let, go. Let's go one step further. Like okay, so Norway has those tools, right? They have the tools to be able to measure and check and track. Um, every other government doesn't. And I'm not even talking about like you're thinking U.S. does. U.S. doesn't like I, in, in my in my opinion, U.S. can track winds and like the depths. And that's basically it. And we don't care. And the biggest that's my biggest qualm. Like and I, I, I sometimes I have to say things like that just to give a hot take. But it's not a hot take. We're not good at the ocean. Like we are bad. In fact, our incentive is to dump everyone's incentive is to dump their trash into the ocean. Because once it's 200 miles offshore, they don't need to care about it. And like, that's the biggest problem. Like uh, the fact that we have decided, oh, also the law of the sea, it's technically just a random agreement from a bunch of countries that like, isn't law. They call it the law of the sea and it's not, it's just generally agreed upon. And anyone at any time can sort of do whatever they want and just say like, okay, we're breaking the law of the sea, but that was sort of a like handshake deal. And like, like I wasn't a part of it, but it was like 40 years ago and like, and it's gone through like five iterations but no one has taken it on again. And I, maybe, I mean, maybe my next 20 years is just like defining the law of the sea, right? Like actually making it law and saying, hey, this tragedy of the commons that is our planet, it needs governance. And like, I am king of the ocean. Suddenly I am king of Atlantis. And now everyone knows my my goal in life is just to be Aquaman.
1: But, but it's so funny because this is turning into an ocean podcast. But just to build on that argument, because imagine since I worked with this, I know like, okay, so obviously the climate changes the way that inhabitants flows in the water, right? So the problem yeah. is that suddenly that your your cod is in Russian waters, but it wasn't originally. But because of climate change, people move around, and also animals, right? So, like you're saying, you have a lot of zones where you need to have a discussion every year because suddenly, okay, we don't have enough fish right here, so you need to find an agreement. And this, like you said, goes on every year. So you have the same dance, right? The same song, but someone has to say that, okay, we agree on that. So just as you said, and this, this is going to be, this is going to be more. And also, you see that the Brexit and the French are arguing. Who, who owns the fish, right? No one owns the fish. It flows in the water. Yeah. Yeah. No, I for ocean. It's president. like
0: you're swimming. And uh, which is also why aquaculture is so fascinating, though. Um, because it, that you do own the fish. And you own that plot of land. And you own the, like. And so, I, you know, I looked into buying an uh, uh, aquaculture farm at one point. Just because I wanted to own a piece of the ocean. Like this is the only way that the governments are going to allow me to own a piece of the ocean. And so I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what they have allowed and permitted. Um, and
1: imagine and, and imagine having an incentive to take care of that ocean because you own. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden I'm going to optimize and clean.
0: I'm going to optimize because I know that if I, if I sell clean seaweed, clean all this stuff, I'm going to take care of that plot of the ocean. I'm going to be pissed if oil leaks into my plot of ocean, I'm going to be pissed. If like, and you need that, you need to be triggered to like, to be like, this is my, I own this. Don't leak your oil mine over to my, uh over to my like sea, seaweed facility, because we're trying to make clean products for people to eat. You know, like I think it's, I'm excited. Long story short, like, I think there are great people moving in the movement of going into the ocean. It's still early. Like, I don't think there, it's not high density, but there's great humans. Um, also, if you're choosing to jump into the ocean, it's a little against the grain. Like it's a little bit of a, it's, it's like a, and so you, you had to overcome sort of a social stigma of going into a market that doesn't really exist. Like, it's not really a thing. It's sort of like jumping into crypto from banking. Like, you have to explain to your mom, like, oh, yeah, uh, there's this thing. Uh, it, it's a piece of technology. And, yeah, I'm going all in because it's like not it like like banking isn't doing like solving the problem. Um, and, and mom's like, but you're at Goldman Sachs. And then you go, oh, you're right. I am at Goldman Sachs. And then you stay. And like, that's the biggest problem is like the, the, the people staying, the talent staying when they should be going.
1: I couldn't agree more, but I have to jump over to crypto. But you talk about, a lot about crypto. So if you want to keep your answers short, just do that. But can we get the best and most bearish argument you have heard on Bitcoin that actually makes you lose a little bit of sleep at times? Does that argument exist?
0: We wouldn't need crypto if, if the Fed worked. Like, I, don't, I, I think that, like, if the Fed worked, who cares, right? Like, if we had 9 billion people on the freaking planet, all managing money through a financial product, right? See, every, everyone's, like, down with the Fed. Okay, here, this is, the, this is how people hold value today, right? You're either banked or unbanked that's it we're building an alternative that's what the crypto market's all about it's building an alternative place where you can you don't need to make a binary decision you can make a choice to be you, not in or out you can also be in this other other world this metaverse thing that everyone's talking about um, and and it's it's a it's a, it's i I have a feeling maybe over 100 years banks go away, something like that, 200 years, 300 years. But I believe that a lot of people are still going to be using banks. Like, I don't see any reason if it's frictionless, centralized, and you trust it, and you don't want to take the burden of security on yourself. Like, why not? Like, that's fine. I don't. I have no problem with that. Um, but to believe that there can't be an alternative is, I think, messed up. Like, I think it's wrong to believe that it, it's going down because it's here. it's it's just here. I don't think there's a bearish argument other than, hey, the government, (laughs) this is the bearish argument. Government's going to figure it out faster than crypto market. That's the crypto, that's the argument, right? Like, we're going to figure it, the government's going to figure it out. Like, they're actually going to change what they do and be better than, if you're going to bet on talent, my job is betting on talent. My job is finding where the best people are, are building the hardest things. And let me tell you, it is not the Fed. And it is not the government. It is Web3, crypto, like the fringes of bio and healthcare. Like we are decoupling government services and turning them into an alternative. Like that's what this is, this movement is about. Um, And so my answer is there's no bearish argument because it exists. There, there There was an argument at one point that was like, I would say 2014 was the darkest days. And it was because it felt that the belief of the entire market was, was not, it, it, there was no cohesive message. There was no, there's no tangible ex- momentum, momentum. And it was like the, you're on the ocean and the sail is fluffing in the wind. Like that, the, the sale of your, it's a sailboat. You're on the ocean. And like that, that was sort of what it was. You, it, it, you, were, you were just sitting there and nothing was, the wind wasn't moving and like it wasn't moving you and there's no momentum to be able to jumpstart the engine. And then uh, ERC 20 smart contracts came out, uh, Ethereum launched. Um, and that was a huge innovation for just making it a little easier to build with crypto, like a little easier to build. And just by making it a little easier to build with Solidity with these smart contracts it like completely changed the game it built enough momentum where all of a sudden that snowball turned into a big ass snowball and now we have uh now we have like it's unstoppable but it's an alternative i I, like i think it's you know what's crazy about this movement and uh, is um the like Non-fungible tokens, tokens, uh, like so NFTs, tokens, uh, Bitcoin, whatever you want to save to define this market, Web3. It's all of it is about becoming your own bank. And so like the entire process is about holding your own value that's away from any uh, central authority. And it's working. We have an alternative to storing value. And how crazy is it if you think about it that way, that finance became so sexy that Eminem has an NFT, and like Eminem, the like the rapper has an NFT, and that means that he's choosing to be a part of this financial revolution. And ten years ago, that would have been a ridiculous thought. Hey, you know, crypto is going to eventually get celebrities excited and be like finance, so like heads. And now everyone is a financial philosopher. Everyone is a banker. And they, whether or not people think about it that way, they've become in charge of their own value. And that's what this movement's about. This movement's about having an alternative place to store your value and being your own bank. And that's what is the most exciting thing about like crypto. And so my, my answer is, it's unstoppable like the internet's unstoppable. It's uh, every people would be like, oh, but the U.S. is going to shut it down. They might have been able to shut it down in 2013, 2014. They cannot now. It's impossible. And so now now it's a political move to support or not support Bitcoin. It's a political move. People go. They go. I'm for, sen- I'm a senator and I'm for Bitcoin. I'm pro Bitcoin. That's an actual thing. That's ridiculous to me. And like awesome because people are choosing yes because they want to stand out from the crowd. So my, I mean, I think it's an alternative place. If people are thinking in a scarce mindset where it's like either or, yeah, it like maybe it's, it's a battle that way. But it's not. It's a there. There's a third place that is being built out that is this alternative. And so I, that's that's what I. That's what we've been building. Like first time I ever talked to Brian Armstrong. Um, He said, at some point the world's gonna be on one financial infrastructure. That's all, that's been my, that's my mission with crypto. Like that's it, like get everyone the same tools and incentives and structures that like the U.S. had. Like give it to the rest of the world. And I, I don't think the U.S. was particularly bad at trust. Like, I don't think we were particularly bad we were bad at global money movement. Like, I don't, I think that's been proven and we were bad at like, there are a couple of things that once you get out of the U S you're bad at, but like inside the U S we were pretty good. Like we were pretty solid. Like we trusted our banks even after a whole crap show in 2008. And like, we like, there were a lot of things that we shouldn't have, but like we did and it made the system work pretty well. We're building an alternative system that right now it's a little slower. It's a little riskier. Like you do need to know who, like where the scams are, where they're not. Like, there's a little bit more of a free wild, wild west vibe. But like in general, Eminem's a part of it now, and and Steph Curry, and like all these great people who are like choosing to be their own bank which is awesome.
1: Yeah, but, but but basically, just the final argument there, I basically think that's just the innovator's dilemma. Like Airbnb at the start was maybe a shitty hotel service, but once you go from the innovator's dilemma principle, you see that when you're growing and you really figure out the job to be done, and the job to be done here, as I said, is banked versus unbanked. So if you're an African, where do you want to have your money? In Bitcoin or like in a currency that can be gone tomorrow, Right. But but basically I just just wanted to the final question on crypto because I think if we take Axie Infinity and Sky Mavis because obviously Andreessen Horowitz went pretty big on the play to earn model just maybe it's easier to use that as an example because you have to have some thoughts on play to earn I'm not I'm not an expert on play to earn but it seems like some US investors are a bit afraid of the end game of the play-to-earn model. So it seems like they're afraid that they're sort of pumping the tokens, but what's the end goal? So I, I won't reference the investors that said, that said they didn't like the play-to-earn model, but it made them not invest in a play-to-earn model. When you're in mind-
0: Well, how hilarious is this social shift over the course of my life? When I was growing up, it was, uh, hey, stop playing those video games. You'll never get into college. And uh, to be able, you won't get a good job because you're 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 in college. You're not going to get in college. Now it's come to my school because you're so good at playing video games. Uh, and with play to earn, it's hey, actually you might get a job. <laughs> like, at, but, <laughs> <laughs> so so it's like that. The the it's like the completion of the ultimate social shift of like from early gaming mentality where people kids were escaping to this way of having fun. Uh, the same way people escaped to play basketball or whatever, and they trivialized it. And then over time, I remember, I mean I, I went to college at UCLA 506 and and they actually launched a video games class because they were like, this is a 50 billion dollar industry that we don't have a class for, which I think was one of the smartest moves ever for a university. I, it's and I went I did took both of the classes and uh so I got to take video games class in college uh which was hilarious and I took it twice but it was different both times one time it was on second life so we would be in this uh, game like trying to build another game inside of it uh, sort of thing um but I i I've, I'm fascinated with social shifts and how they they change in society like uh, so one of the social shifts that I believe will change is uh, don't litter the ocean. Uh, it's killing the planet. I believe that the flip's going to happen. I believe we will be throwing stuff into the ocean in order to fix it. And I think it'll be like, hey, get those out the door as fast as possible. It's not going to be the same stuff that we're throwing in the ocean, but we're essentially throwing crap in the ocean. Um, so littering the ocean is a social shift that's going to happen. Uh, Uber is a good example too. It's when you're growing up, don't get into a stranger's car. Get get into any stranger's car now. Like it, it, it doesn't matter, because basically, most innovations are when uh, a piece of tr- they, they there's there's a rigid belief in a piece of trust that can't be changed, and it turns out that piece of trust can be moved. And so uh, my grandfather believed Bitcoin could never happen because the government wouldn't allow it. Uh, you need trust. You need a government. You need you know all these things for any like currency to work. And because he believed so wholeheartedly in the United States government, I, on the other hand, had never really thought the government was involved in my life and like never thought that they took care of me in any capacity uh, growing up. I, I felt that my computer did and I felt applications on my computer did. And I felt that they were they were much more involved in my upbringing than the government who could care less about me, quite honestly. They, I don't think my, my education, I got one of the best educations ever. I went to private school. I went to, uh, I went to UCLA and I went to like, and I don't feel particularly like they fostered my, like the, 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 the education system fostered what made me powerful, like what made me, me. And I would have loved that. And so like, I think, uh, that's a whole other tangent about education, but like government, the things that government gets involved in, I think they end up sucking over a long period of time. And so right now we're going through a process where we're all realizing how bad they suck with metrics. So data is helping us realize how bad the government sucks at what they do. And, and they're very good at a couple of things, but they, they, in general, they're, they're realizing it. Um, I probably shouldn't be that crass with every government on the planet, but like, hey, I want better goods and services if you're gonna rise to the challenge of saying like you're better, prove it to me. Um, and the uh, and right now we're going through a huge revolution for not only finance but for medicine, for bio, like science for um, for all these really interesting things that you would have considered to be science fiction in the past. Like we're going through, a huge transition in in the world uh, of technology being a part of our lives and onboarding and seeing what it is to have 9 billion people live cohesively on one planet. Um, I, think, I mean, I think it's super exciting. I think we were dealing with new problems. I think we're figuring out what it's like to be hooked up to the internet for the first time ever. So that's a lot of thoughts all at once. Sorry. No,
1: but, but it's a great answer because basically it's a new model Therefore, people are skeptical because they don't calculate the end game. But maybe the answer is that no one knows the end game. We have to make the end game. Uh, there's,
0: the, uh, there's, a great, there's a great saying. It's the, um, the pessimist is always right, but the optimist is rich. And like, it basically, I, I, I believe that people who said you're wrong about Bitcoin, they were right. They were right about me being wrong about Bitcoin at the time. They were right. Every single day that I was going into the office, they say it, they were right on that day. Like, but over time, they're wrong. And like, you need to be optimistic about where the world, world's going. Like, I, I think that uh, history rep- doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. I like that quote also where, it, and, it, and it sort of bends towards justice and it bends in the right direction. Um, I, I think those are like, I think believing that humans are generally good is a good thesis on being an investor, on being a person. Um, And I think it's, I don't know, I I see all the the media basically destroys tech in their movies. And if you watch AI, if you watch uh, anything, it's always evil, right? Like technology is always the evil thing that's taking over the world. And it is a thing that takes over the world, but it's because it's net-net making the world a better place. Um, and, I, but it's, a, but people have a problem with change. And I think that's something that needs to change. So it's, it's, a
1: yeah. Let's switch topic VR. So my mom bought the new VR headset so far. I'm enjoying language learning, exploration. I'm training to be an astronaut and I'm fighting world, world, world war two, but VR, I think it was, maybe it was Sam Altman. He had this saying about VR that. As soon as people are spending four hours a day on VR, besides social media and Netflix, that's when you know you have like the trajectory to invest. So you've been in VR for so many years. Are you seeing a point where VR is going to take over the world? Is it today? Is it next year? Or are we already in that space?
0: I mean, in this context, okay, here. Uh, I like being a part of movements and, the, and when, when there's a new piece of technology, like a VR headset, I like to be able to support those movements. Or in the case of Bitcoin, it was Bitcoin, the blockchain, the first Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and like there was, a, there, that, there was a moment, a singularity, and then you were able to say, hey, I want to support anyone who's supporting this industry. And that's what VC does. We, we find the singularity and then we support the ecosystem. Um, and the, uh, and the, in this context, VR had a moment. V- technology just takes time. Like, I think we assumed a lot of things throughout the journey, and I've learned a lot from virtual reality, more so than almost crypto in some ways. Um, it's inevitable. Like, even if Sam Altman saying that, like, is saying it's inevitable, right? Like, the... the, the, the this, this was a uh,
1: timing aspect. When does it take off, right? It's He's more definitely- about
0: when's the right time to invest. My, my thought process is, okay, yes, you're right. It, there is no billion dollar company that is building software for VR today. I believe so. And in the past, I was wrong about the time frame it would have taken. So when there, but there is a rational number of headsets that you can base that on. Now, before it was like, when I, when I thought there was going to be a billion dollar company, they were like, 50,000 headsets, and, like, I was one of them, and it was fun, and, like, I was really good at Space Pirate Trainer, um, and the, uh, which I highly recommend, and I still am really good, it's just I don't play it that much, the, uh, and, 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 and so, like, these companies, you know, the best one was making maybe, had made maybe a million bucks, like, two million bucks, three million bucks, maybe ten, like, I think Beat Saber made ten, and we were, like, freaking out, we were, like, oh, that's awesome, um, and then, And then the, uh, but then we quickly realized just across our portfolio, like it was still undecided which headset had the most, had the most population. So had the most headsets and which platform to build for. And in that timeframe, it's very confusing to be a builder and an entrepreneur. I believe that that will make for better entrepreneurs and better builders in that ecosystem but that was a very difficult time when you couldn't focus on just one platform. And so you're sort of building for all of them and all of them are a little different. Um, and so uh, the recently, so this year they announced that like 8 million headsets, maybe 9 million headsets were, were, were delivered. Um, there's a market size of 9 million. 9 million makes a market. So we have companies who are doing millions of dollars in revenue now, like they're real businesses and they will grow at the speed that the VR market grows. So if you believe that Sony's going to deliver a good headset, that Apple's going to deliver a good headset and that uh the Meta will continue to deliver good headsets, suddenly this market's not 8 million. This market's 40 million. And suddenly there're 40 million people who have VR and is building that that amount of time in that entertainment. Right now, yeah, a majority of people are still using it for entertainment. It's like I have a friend come over Hey, you got to try this Richie's plank. You walk the plank. It's funny to watch you like fall off the plank um and like you know, hurt yourself doing it basically like and you I, do the roll
1: and you do the roller coaster ride. So well, the roller god,
0: the roller coaster. I I did the roller coaster when the headsets were really not great. I don't do I don't do, yeah. The, 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 that was like the most nauseous I've ever been. Um but there but the but the innovations that have happened throughout this time frame, like I say space pirates trainer because I love what Dirk the guy's name was is Dirk. We didn't invest, but I loved the, the creator of Space Pirates Trainer. Um and his name's Dirk. He he invented a lot of things that people in software of VR do today. So if you reach behind your head, you can pull out a shield. That that's something that no one in Clicking world of a computer would have had to think about. They wouldn't have to think about how you're moving, right? Like he was like, "Hey, this could enable me to like pull something out. It could be a grenade. It could be whatever." And then you flip back, and then he also invented when you get shot, arrows that show where you got shot, so that you you figure out where you died. Um, And so. The evolutions of all of these you' you're you're bringing up these industries and I get to basically talk about what my entire career in the last ten years has been and it's really been about the evolution of these markets i got i I got to see cryptocurrency firsthand I got to see virtual reality firsthand and how the technology eventually evolves to being not to hidden like where right now so I always, I, I used to always use the analogy of the internet. Like I, I, I sort of assume you use the internet. If you're pitching me an internet business, I, I don't, I don't know why you're saying the internet anymore. It's like, why, why would you like, it's like air. I'm bre- Yeah. I'm breathing air. Yeah. That's that is, you know, you should, you should probably breathe air also. And it's like, okay, you, you, you want to tell me how the internet, the internet's like a great, it's like it became it became that resilient truth that everyone has that the internet is the way that we communicate now. It is the way, and eventually something will come along and completely disrupt the internet somehow. And maybe it's crypto. Maybe maybe that's the new level of how it works. Um, but like. Yeah, uh, yeah. So I've been able to watch these new industries just emerge and slowly fade to the background. Like I think having so many words for for whether it's Bitcoin, Web three, NFTs, you know, whatever the thing is, all we're talking about we're talking about the exact same thing in every capacity. The, the communities align with different pieces of it, but it's all the same thing. It's scarcity on the internet. That's it. Like we're dealing with being able to own one thing on the internet, and and I think once you realize that and we're all a part of that same movement of building this alternative asset place it a place of value like i think everyone's just going to realize it at some point, and be able to be like okay yeah like oh i stored my artwork here i don't care about what blockchain it's on like who the who the half cares what blockchain is? like i don't i don't care if it's like at some point we're not going to care that it's solana or ethereum or whatever like the, that's a the the transactional network will be a race to the bottom on pricing because all the consumers are going to be caring about like where the cheapest they're going to be it's going to transact wherever it's cheapest like that's basically what the promise is going to be
1: that we don't debate which server we use when we are on zoom right we don't have a discussion do you want that server or that server are you fine with that do you oh. like the do you like the white paper in this server or are you going to go ahead
0: i completely we don't we, like what That'd be a ridiculous, it's like, just deliver me the fricking thing, right? Like I, I, I don't, like we obviously used the bad server when this cut us off, but like in general, I'm not going back to the, I'm not going back to the server room and being like, you know, which brand of server was that? Like the, it's a commodity and we're building blockchains will become a commodity that's, and they, it's going to be great. Like the value will go back to the consumer. The value will go back to the uh, protocol layer which is so crazy. And that's a complete seismic shift in how business works and economics works today. But at the end of the day, you're not going to care if it's Solana or like these people who are like religious about their their blockchain. Um, I believe they will each be used for different things or everyone's going to have the same stuff. And it's just going to be about which transaction is the best. And like, it's going to like, there's not going to be a specific type. Uh, And I think, you know, Bitcoin's going to have a lot of the same services. I think uh, Ethereum is going to have a lot of the same services as Solana, Solana. But this is one thing that I am seeing is like in the short term, in the early days, it's not bad to bet that something is too expensive for builders. So like, I missed Ethereum because I was stubborn about Bitcoin. I, I instead of high conviction, I was stubborn. I was like, hey, we don't have enough people to build a market that's just Bitcoin. Why? Why are we adding a distraction right now? Um, I saw Vitalik speak. I had every opportunity known to know the man to invest in the crowd sale of Ethereum. I didn't do it. I did, I do own Ethereum today, and I did do it pretty early, but like I had every opportunity to be like, hey, this is going to be a seismic shift because Bitcoin is expensive. It is expensive to innovate. Now, Ethereum became high transaction costs, high trans, and everyone was religious about Ethereum, which now I have a bunch of college kids pitching me on Solana because they can experiment for cheap on Solana. Like that, uh, that's basically all they're caring about. Like they care that they can experiment for cheap. They know they want to be on Ethereum also, it's sort of like Android iPhone. Like why are you building on Android? Well, it's because I have an Android, right? Like the. it's basically like, hey, I didn't have enough money on Ethereum to actually own one Ethereum. I, I wanted to be able to build. Um, so there is value in these blockchains developing and evolving. And um, I, I don't, discredit that. And I wish I had yeah. been a part of seeding Ethereum and Solana, and I wasn't. Um,
1: but, but don't just yeah. you, don't you think... I'm trying a very 2022 relevant analogy, because if we remember the quote, and I'm giving Pump the honor for the virus is spreading, if that's crypto. So what did we learn about virus? If you have COVID, it evolves and because it has to transmit and also to reach more people faster. So if you have that analogy... Maybe you can say that COVID is the Bitcoin and then Omicron oh. is maybe Solana. I don't know. I'm just riffing here, Adam, but it's a virus and it's spreading. So giving biology, it needs to become sort of weaker in order to transmit faster.
0: Well, in, in order to be mass market. It's right. It, the, someone said it really well. They said uh, the effectiveness of a virus is the fact that it won't kill its host. Like, that the, it's it's it, because if it, if it if it kills you if it's not a, it won't be around for long right like it if it kills everyone it won't be around for long and the virus doesn't want that virus wants to be around as long as possible and so i think you're right in the fact that like i think the evolution ends up being hey what's the it become more contagious but become weaker is a sort of, is essentially what ended up happening right um and I, yeah, I, I think it's a good way of looking at it. And also uh, cr- to talk about COVID a little bit, it drew a lot of lines that crypto ends up having to draw where you get to fight and debate these topics, right? You debate where your line is, where, where finance meets crypto, where like, what is the actual problem being solved? Mass, no mass, like, what, like there's all these like social pieces that are being chopped up and divided And then you battle over them and you figure out which pod you're you're sort of self-selecting into um and that's you know that that's very similar to crypto like that you you, in the beginning it was binary i'm i'm for for i'm going to do what the old system asked for i'm going to do what the new system asked for uh and then over time it just like you have to have these conflicting hey transaction fees are too high uh, we need something that allows for, we need a new blockchain that's going to allow for like transactions to be 2 i Like we, we need a vaccine. We need multiple vaccines. We need like, you know, uh, I, think, I think you're right that there's, there is an interesting analogy to make on the social developments, not on the actual things, but on the social, how humans reacted in both capacities.
1: Yeah, because you also, just to finish up the analogy, because I think the end game will be the same. You can have as many lockdowns as you want, but eventually maybe everyone is going to get covid. that just they just maybe doesn't know it. And it's the same with the bank system. You really don't know the uh, the infrastructure behind a banking service. But let's next final But thing. everyone's
0: going to But everyone's going to. Yeah. Exactly. Like, it, that was my point, right? So it's, everyone's it's Basically going- like the big system is is hiding the system, right? Like the big, the, the people, the, the government in some capacity or the banking system or whatever is hiding the system saying like, hey, but at the end of the day, life happens and we're going to keep going. And like humans are going to be humans and we're going to do the thing. Um, and I, I think one of the things that has been proven over the course of the last two years is um, we're very adaptable. Like I think humans are very... Uh, we can overcome anything. Like I, I'm, I very much believe that. And that's why we keep innovating. That's why we keep building. And we're, we are trying to solve hard problems and impossible problems. And like, that's why I love my job. I get to see basically, I think the undervalued piece of my job is that thing I said at the beginning, which is every person who comes into my office, which is now Zoom, uh, they're saying I'm changing the world. And I get to say, okay, how? And then they say, this is why it's going to be big. And this is why it's important. And I get to go and I get to be like, I agree. I disagree. I get a poke. I get a prod. I get to say like, I, I get to judge sort of essentially where they are in their development cycle. But the most fun part is that they're so full of hope, right? Like they're hoping for, they're saying, I want to build a better world. Um, and I think that's, that's the best part of my job.
1: Have you seen the Gataka movie?
0: No, I haven't. It's, it's
1: phenomenal.
0: Jesus, it's phenomenal. It's amazing, it's amazing that you, yeah, I'm, I'm assuming you're younger than I am and, the, uh, and that you've seen Gattaca and I have not because Gattaca is like an old sci-fi movie.
1: Uh, I, I, okay, I'm not going to spoil it because it basically is a movie about the exact point you're making that you're it. the lucky guy because you get to participate in others people's dreams. So you're just like yeah. you're helping them pursue their dream. And that's the movie Gattaca, right? So...
0: Oh, okay, well, I better, I better go see Gattaca. Just a fine,
1: final theme, Adam, because we had so much fun. Let's talk about tennis because I know you love tennis. And if, if you're going to use tennis as an analogy, there are games where you're getting beaten, you have break balls. Uh, and I want you to relate a tennis game to your life because we can then pair it up to life philosophy. So if you go broad, when do you play your best tennis in life? How does it feel? And how do you make a great tennis? How, or what do you need to have in order to play tennis well? What needs to be in your life, right? Family, friends? So,
0: someone, someone wrote a really great article about tennis. And it was um, 80% of tennis ends up being, uh, at the beginning of your career, ends up being you're playing not to lose uh, instead of playing at, and, and to, instead of playing to win um and it's it, there there's a fundamental shift where you're sort of essentially you're into, whether you're good or bad or whatever like you're you're learning most points are won because the other person lost it rather than they won it and and so it was a, it's a mo, it's an 8020 rule basically like and and at some point when you become a professional it becomes 8020 the other way um and yeah, where you are winning the points you are not Lose, You're not default. They aren't, they aren't losing to you. You're beating them. Um, and so the best of the best aren't playing. The, the, both sides are always playing to win, right? But the structure of the actual win for the best of the best ends up being able to play, uh, play playing w- with winning, being able to beat them rather than uh, them losing to you. And it's a, it's a psychological difference. I feel that the first seven years of my career was really 10 years of my career. And up up until about last year, I was, I was playing not to lose. Like I was basically playing a game. I was going big. I was swinging big. I was trying stuff. I was doing a lot of stuff, but now i now I'd say if I were to analogize it to the market, like I think that I've worked my way up the, the ranks a little bit in the the uh, in the system. Um, and I, I believe now, like, we start to play the fun games where I get to play to win. And I, I, I think that for the last seven years, I've just been, I've been trying, I've learning, I think playing, playing not to lose is about learning. It's about seeing what works for you. What doesn't, how does the market work? How does each player play individually? Like, And I, I believe that the next 10 years of my career, 20 years, 30 years, hopefully I, you know, (laughs) hopefully I do this a while. Um, I will, I will be playing to win and actually have the ability where I win the points rather than other people are losing the points. Um, I think that would be my best analogy for, for tennis specifically in my world of business. It's, Play, play to, you, you always want to be playing to win the points, but it turns out they are losing the points more often. And being a good investor, genuinely being a good investor, it's really about them just losing the points and you, you winning by default. But being a great investor, I think is really, it's about playing to win and you are winning the points. You're That's- defining the market.
1: That's amazing, Adam. And just a, the final question, because I love that analogy. Can you push it up to life philosophy even, and also explain to people whether they're interested in business or entrepreneurship, that you will have break balls, you will have sets you lose. Maybe that's a startup that fails. So you sort of have to persist in order to get where you are. So just to wrap it up, maybe.
0: Um, yeah, life... <sighs> i mean giving me uh, i'm i'm still early on in my life in my career i i feel i feel a veteran in some ways and also a uh, a novice in others um the, the things that ended up w- working had the most friction and Uh, And they they took the most and, and as you when you're early in your career, you're doing a lot of things, sort of tuning an algorithm and trying your hardest. But what you learn is we get paid to make good decisions. So all of those things you're doing is actually about building conviction to make one decision. And it's what deal for VCs. It's what deal to do. Right. And you have to figure out what you believe that the market doesn't in that conviction building process. I think the scarcest asset on the planet is true high conviction decisions. I think most people flippantly will pass their decisions to others. Um, and it's really about seeing the beginning of that process is really about seeing where the world disagrees with what we, you believe and starting to pick at that and see what, where it goes. Um, so my, I'm, I, I'm not, I, I've separated from the idea of tennis of, you know, it's a game where you win, lose, it's a mental game and it is physical also, but the, I, the true idea is like, it's an endurance game. I wrote a blog post about like the, the world of business is an endurance game. The world of life's endurance game. Like I think the reason I have like a vendetta against education. And the reason is that I think that they, they train you to feel good about short-term thinking and the longer term you can think the better you will perform in life and be sought after. And I think if you can think two years longer than your friends, you're going to do great. If you can think 10 years longer than your friends, you're going to be exceptional. Um, And if you think 20 years longer than your friends, like, and a big, a big part of it is sort of like knowing that you are training the right things every day. Like you're going to have down days. You're going to have days you doubt yourself. You're going to have crap. Like, I mean, same with Dennis, like you're going to have crap days where your forehand doesn't work. You know, crap days where like literally your brain cannot function and you don't know why, like you cannot, you could beat it against the wall for hours and it just will not work because you're preoccupied normally. Like you filled the space of I think it was a computer, like a lot of people use uh, m- memory. They always, they, they, they have really good memory recall. I have really crappy memory recall. I have really good CPU usage, like, or GPU usage, where it's like about the solving of the problem. I have a good system. About the memory, I have a horrible system. And it's like, I optimized for that. Like I optimized for not really remembering things well and like ignoring things that I didn't think were as, as important. Um, and so my, at the end of the day, like play endurance games, like that, and be, be, be a part of it. Like try to try to win. And at the beginning, I would say play endurance games, uh, play not to lose and then play to win. And like, that would be my sequence of like, like of, of life. I would, I would play play games that you could play for the next 70 years, like, like tennis or golf or whatever, like things that won't like fatigue your body, things that won't uh, like, and that are meant ventures also not for everyone. Like, I, I don't know, like I, you learn very quickly that it's a customer service job. And I think people think it's glory because sometimes you get a lot of money for supporting someone for 10 years, but you're supporting someone for 10 years. <laughs> like uh, so so like th- there's a lot of shit that goes in the middle of that and like the uh and the so i i think i think for any job any career i think it really is about playing an endurance game though and making sure that you're setting yourself up for the long haul there are gonna be people who outperform you in the short term i mean we were an accelerator so boost vc itself and this, I, I think we should will and soon, but like BoostVC itself, like we started as an accelerator when there were like 15 other accelerators. Actually, there's still like 500 other accelerators at that time. And we weren't, we weren't the best known, we weren't the, and we're still, we're still not the best known, but like we put one foot in front of the other and stayed who we were, where we were supporting crazy ideas and crazy markets. And like, we focused on this part of the ecosystem that everyone ignored where venture capitalists didn't realize it, no one realized it. And because of that, it was hard, like it was difficult because we had to tell the the community of founders that they're doing the right thing when the entire world was saying they were doing the wrong thing. And like, those things are hard, but slowly but surely like a lot of accelerators just fell off. Like they just stopped and we're still here. So I would say this is a good example of like, we were playing not to lose, right? Like I was just around for long, long enough where a lot of people just lost over a significant period of time. Like they just stopped doing it and they evolved to something else or they, um, in the program still, some of them still last, but we stayed our course. We kept going. We were like, Hey, that, that is North. We're going to keep going in that direction. And, uh, you, you do that for 10 years, you put one foot in front of the other, eventually you get somewhere. You might not get where you're going, but like you get somewhere. And, and so we, that's what BoostVC has been, like we, we're succeed, we have been successful by not losing and by continuing and being able to sustain. And I believe that the next phase, if I can unlock it, is I get to start to play to win and it's gonna be really fun. And like we built trust for 10 years the hard way. I built an engine that I believe is a money printing device. Like I believe in what we have done and what we are doing. I also, I mean, I, uh, and and some pieces of it were incredibly hard. Like if our forehand wasn't working, uh, we had to learn a backhand, right? Like if, if the, if, if the, if the serve was garbage, like we, we had to learn how to move our legs. Um, The, and, and so we, we, we trained each piece of the game and I feel right now, like how we are, how we are positioned, like it, we, we, the, at the base of what Boost VC has always been. And like, it took us a long time to realize what we do best, what we do best. So it's really, when you're building something, you try to figure out what you do best, better than the market, better than everyone. And the thing that we do best is we believe first. We believe in the unbelievable things. We believe in the idea that the world could change in a specific way. And we do that better than I believe anyone else on the entire planet. And that belief, has turned into a community and now that community has a chance to go win and like that's how i feel about us anyway
1: perfect ending adam i will uh, not bet against you that's for sure but i think it was so much fun having you on so it was uh, very insightful and i very much appreciate you joining the show it was a pleasure hosting you as well this was awesome thank
0: you so much <laughs>
1: Over the last years, we have tried to give our community the best possible content on business, investing, and entrepreneurship. If you have enjoyed this free content over time and find it valuable, it would be amazing if you want to support us by making a small donation in our Patreon. Just click the link in the description to have a look. If you want to watch this episode as well, please head over to our YouTube channel and make sure to subscribe to the channel. This episode was produced by William Fransen.